0: This is your trusty Dungeon Master, Eli, and I'm here with Cody, who plays Briggs. I thought we'd start with some info about you, Cody. Uh, Let's start with, where do you live?
1: Currently, I live in Oklahoma.
0: In which part of Oklahoma?
1: Texoma. It's like the, uh, right on the Texas-Oklahoma border.
0: Nice. And what made you decide to play a swashbuckler, sailor type of character?
1: Well, uh, I was a sailor too, and I always liked the kind of lore behind just weird things that happen or reason for doing certain things. It's kind of why I chose the character the way I did.
0: Have you played D&D before?
1: No, but I've like watched it and been, been into a lot of it for many years. I just never got a chance to play it with a group.
0: Uh, so my last question is, how do you know the group?
1: Well, I met the group through Brent, which I've known over 20 years.
0: Yeah. Tell me a story about you and Brent as kids.
1: Um, I plead the fifth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought you were going to say, because Brent always tells me the story about how you, was it that you and he looked so similar that you would like almost passed for brothers or something?
1: Oh, we used to mess with people all the time. Like in school, people ask if we were brothers and be like, yeah, we were because our birthdays are actually two days apart. So we'd mess with people and be like, yeah, he was born the second, I'm born in the fourth, we're twins. Really? He's like, morons.
0: <laughs> so you're aboard the Seawolf, a ship that you have lived and worked on for years now, ever since you woke up in the hold one day and were informed that supposedly you had signed the ship's articles and taken an advance on your wages, uh, which you no longer had and have no memory of doing. Especially weird because you're not even from Magnamar, which is the navy that you're now part of. You're from a nearby fishing village, and you don't really even remember going to Magnamar, so the whole thing is pretty suspicious. So, Shinghide into service or not, though, things are not so bad on the ship. That is, until recently. It started with pirates. As part of the Magnamar navy, your ship protected the waters for trade from unsavories of the rival cities, Riddleport and Corvosa. So when the Seawolf sighted the black sails of a pirate ship heading from Corvosa, naturally you followed, even though it was a Friday and you knew it was bad luck to start a voyage on a Friday. For a week, you trailed those black sails. In the second week, sailors began to wonder if you'd ever get closer if this wasn't a bit too far from home. And in the third week, you spotted the storm. The hurricane nearly broke the ship. For days it threatened to capsize you. For days the crew held on for dear life. When finally the ship managed to sail to calmer waters, you were completely lost, no land in sight. And that's when the dead wind hit. It's day three of perfectly clear skies not a hint of wind, in the sails. You're low on clean water. You have less food than you'd like. Tell me how Briggs is feeling.
1: Briggs would feel uh, probably downtrodden about this whole thing going on, especially knowing that sailors are a very superstitious kind of group.
0: Can you give me a straight up and down roll for a perception check? 18. All right. So with that roll, you've noticed that there's actually something else going on too. There's something wrong with some of the people on the ship. Or it's like they're planning something or they're hiding something. And, and kind of like they've lost their minds a little bit. Specifically, there's the first mate, Jonah. Jonah keeps talking to other people under his breath and looking around super suspiciously. Sometimes he's even talking to himself and just pacing back and forth, muttering.
1: How many days at this point have we been like underway?
0: Underway for like three weeks, and however long the ship was in a hurricane, so like probably about four weeks and three days.
1: Yeah, that sounds about the right time frame where people start going a little loopy.
0: Tell me what your relationship with the other people on crew is. You've been Shanghai, but you've been working on these ships for like a really long time.
1: I think about Briggs would probably uh, try to make friends with either somebody that's kind of from the area where he ha- uh, he's from, or Kind of the same, or all in kind of the same situation or something like that?
0: Yeah, that would be Boots. You have a friend named Boots. All right. Boots is chill. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't make that many characters, but I did make a friend named Boots. So there's that. All right. <laughs> that night, you spend, you've spent the whole day hoping, almost praying for a wind, and got nothing. That, so that night you're snoozing in your hammock and you hear a shout and a clattering above board. What do you do?
1: Don't know, like the direction, like it's um, on the main deck.
0: Yeah, and you're sleeping under.
1: Is there any uh, anybody else alerted or in a frenzy or anything like that? Or I'm like the only one that, that heard it.
0: It's super loud. And when you wake up, it's it's dark where you're sleeping, but you can tell that, Not very many people are in their beds. Like, a lot of people are kind of MIA.
1: Go investigate the noise. Try to find other people, see what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on.
0: So when you get to the deck, you find the captain of the ship, Captain Vorsen, with a rapier through his chest, bleeding out at the edge of death. And above him is Jonah. And surrounding them is a bunch of the other sailors. In fact, a lot of the sailors that you've seen talking with Jonah are all kind of, they're looking psyched, like they have participated in this mutiny. And Jonah's standing up there and he says, our captain, if you can call him that, let us on this wild goose hunt and now we're lost, low on supplies. And so we have on you captain, If you've got an issue with it, you're welcome to find a new ship. (laughs) Ha 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 ha
1: ha ha. Was the captain like a D-bag or was he kind of cool or?
0: (laughs) He was a super normal captain. Like he wasn't particularly a D-bag, but he was doing his job, which is hunting pirates and, you know, being cool. And it is true though, that you guys have had real bad luck and have, you know, people's nerves are on edge because of how long you have been now just completely lost at sea, but he wasn't particularly a dick.
1: All right. How much of the crew kind of like went over to Jonah's side?
0: 60%. Are
1: there, um, are there other people like, um, kind of like angry with him or kind of furious about what had happened?
0: I think a lot of people are sleepy and confused And if they're even paying attention, they're just kind of like, all right, fine. We have a new captain, whatever. Briggs, have you got something to say? I'm good. All right. So the main mutineers roll Vorsen's dead body off the side. And as they do that, you start to somebody calls from the crow's nest saying that clouds have appeared on the distant horizon, a thick wall of them. Suddenly, a gentle breeze seems to rise up around you. The captain takes this as an omen for himself. See, the ocean is already on our side. (laughs) Ha 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 ha.
1: And the captain is um, Jonah now, yeah.
0: Yeah, Captain Jonah. So, Vorsen hits the water with a splash and you go back to bed. As you're trying to sleep, you can feel sharks flapping against the hull as they feast on your now dead former captain. Tell me how you're feeling.
1: Shocked. Probably feeling they probably didn't deserve that.
0: So you go to sleep feeling kind of like, holy shit, what just happened? And when you wake for your morning watch, you walk up on deck to a thick wall of mist and wind in the sails. Captain Jonah has been partying all night, he's half drunk. Semi-sleeping near the stern of the boat where the uh, wheel is that steers the sailing boat ship. You know, the spinny wheel from the pirate ships. It's your time to take up watch so you climb up into the crow's nest. And will you give me a perception check just to straight up and down?
1: Three. I don't see shit.
0: That's That kind of fits. That makes sense. So... It's super, super thick clouds that you're in. It's basically a mist. When you're crawling into the crow's nest, you can't even see much more than about a rung above you on the ladder to get up there. And it's, you know, you can see about the length of your arm and that's it. You
1: can cut it with a knife.
0: But even without seeing anything, it's pretty impossible... To ignore the sounds that you start to hear, it's splashing like like something swimming near you. And you hear Jonah slur from below. what's that? It's ready your weapons.
1: Is it like one splash or like
0: lots of little splashing and not just one like, little noise. And, you know, you're you're moving, so there's always the sound of water rushing under the hull in, like, a normal way, but this is something else entirely. Give me a d10 roll. Nine. Tell me what weapon you pulled out, or if you pulled out a weapon when your new captain called out for it.
1: Probably a rapier.
0: Alright, so, with a nine, what happens is You start to... So first it was splashing. And then it feels like something's whizzing past your face, moving fast. And not just one thing, but like several things. And you blindly just slice out with your rapier. And with a nine, you one hit killed something. And you can feel that you smacked it And when you look, like you stab out, you look closer at what your the tip of your rapier, and you have speared an albatross through the heart with one hit.
1: Oh lord! Imagine it start freaking out.
0: And and why would you freak out?
1: It's a very bad omen to do that for sailors to kill an albatross.
0: There are more creatures flying near you, almost like air whoomphing near your face.
1: Probably try to duck like in the crow's nest, like below the, the lip.
0: At this point, your captain has alerted a lot of sailors, and people are swinging wildly into the sky, and you can, if you look down, it's almost like there was a flock of them, and now all at once You've killed probably upwards of 10 as a crew.
1: Oh, Lord. Definitely probably in freak out mode. He'd probably uh, yell out. Everybody'd like to hit the deck.
0: And are you going to stay in the crow's nest?
1: That was my watch, right?
0: Yeah, it's your watch.
1: Yeah, I'd stay in the crow's nest.
0: So, several people hit the deck, especially once they realize and they're horrified that they've been slicing these birds by accident. And then all of a sudden, you hear a woman's voice. Give me a will save roll. So what that is, is a d20 roll. And we'll do that straight up and down. Plus your wisdom modifier.
1: Which is a zero anyway, so it's a straight 12.
0: Whoo. All right, so with a 12, you hear the singing on the wind, and it starts to call your name specifically. Briggs, my love, I'm waiting for you. Come to me. And you feel yourself drawn to this voice, and you're... Like without even really realizing what you're doing, you're climbing down from the crow's nest and you're approaching the edge of the ship. And you're looking over the edge. And when you look down, you see the most perfect, most beautiful woman you've ever seen. And you feel like you're the luckiest person to ever live because she's talking to you. She's just swimming in the water like half naked or whatever. And you just never seen anything so wonderful in your life. Do you say anything?
1: No, I'll probably mouth agape.
0: Come join me. Go ahead and give me another will save. Four. <laughs> Oops. Uh, okay.
1: Then Brig takes a header over the side. <laughs>
0: Uh, yes basically you see this person you're just like your whole heart feels like it's swelling in your chest and like you're the happiest man alive and next thing you know you're just diving into the water you're trying to show off for this lady love of yours in the water and so when you decide to jump in the water you do like a Sick front flip, triple flip, swan dive, and uh, hit the water. And it is quite cold when you hit it. And when you bob back up to the surface, you look around for this lady love of yours. And at first, you you can't find her. It's like, hey, hey, Brent, can you not? Because I'm recording and there's lots of noises. Can, food can, can you eat a piece of bread and wait 20 minutes? No. No. A minute Minute. cook. Okay, you cook and I'll sit here. Hi, Cody. Please wait for one minute. Can I listen? Uh, if you sit and eat very yeah. quietly, sit down and don't, don't chew loud. I won't, I won't chew at all. You're going to swallow two bao buns I'm whole? just going to
1: put it in my mouth and then left.
0: That's super gross. That's why I said it. Okay. You bob to the surface, and you catch your breath for a moment, and you're looking around. You're trying to find this woman, and you can't see her. She's suddenly disappeared. You do see kelp floating around you, and for a second, it you kind of come out of this mind-control sort of moment, the thrall of this woman, and give me a Sailor Lord check. 17. In the back of your mind, you know that there are creatures like this. Like, part of you is screaming at the rest of you to say, this is stupid, what are you doing? There are creatures like Sirens, and there's Nereids, Drowned women, merfolk, and this in particular might be a Kelpie. They're all different types of creatures that trick the senses and drown sailors who get too close. Part of your brain knows that, but then the other part of your head is just completely so in love with the image that you saw that you don't care. And just as you think to yourself that it's fine and that it doesn't matter and that it's worth it for love, then you feel seaweed wrap around your legs and pull you down under the surface. Give me an uh, athletics check. Uh, 20. A 20, kick. you kick away from this creature that's pulling you under after you know, it gets you about 10 feet under the surface and you manage to break free of it. When you got to the surface, the first thing you see is that your whole ship has run into a bunch of rocks. And the whole ship has careened onto one side. The hull is broken, taking on water. It's actually, as waves hit it, it's starting to like break apart. And For a moment, your eyes are clear of the thrall and you can see that the entire side of the ship that Kelpies, which are creatures, they're shape-shifting creatures that are made of seaweed, they are crawling out of the water onto the hull and they are dragging your sailors, including your friend Boots, by like one foot. They're dragging them into the water and eating them.
1: How far away is is the ship from me?
0: You've swum a little bit, so you're only like ten, fifteen feet away from it.
1: And uh, he said, "I could see Boot, right?" Yep,
0: yeah, you can see him. He, in particular, has is like being pulled by the the ankles off, like around the edge of the ship.
1: See how try to swim towards where he's getting pulled in at.
0: We'll say that as you swim towards the Kelpie dragging him, pulls him all the way in and he hits the water with a big splash and he's about 10 feet away. Give me an, we'll do another athletics check to try to save Boots. It's going to be, warning, it's going to be really high because everybody's going to
1: die. Does Boots have fancy boots on?
0: Boots is just his friend.
1: Well I know that but I'm Briggs and Boots. I'm just curious if Boots has like some boots on, you know what I'm saying? Everybody has boots on. No, but like he has them boots. Like Red Cowboy boots? Dang! Boots! With the fur.
0: He does have apple bottom jeans with red cowboy boots that are fur. That's why they call them boots. There you go. (laughs) Cody, did you do an athletics check?
1: Yeah, it was a twenty-two.
0: With a twenty-two you swim over, and you punch the Kelpie right in the face. Uh, But then it sings at you again. Give me a... It goes, Why would you do this when I love you so much, Briggs? Come join me. And give me another will save.
1: Damn hell, spawn. Five.
0: You are basically immobilized because you're like, you're looking at this woman you just tried to punch in the face and she's just so beautiful and you stop yourself and that's when seaweed wraps around both you and boots it starts to pull you underwater again this time it pulls you 20 feet under the water and it holds you there for long enough that you kind of can't breathe give me a athletics check and we'll make this we'll make this for a couple of rolls nat 20 with your nat 20 you get underwater and as you are running out of air it's like the part of your brain that says this is an evil creature and I should not try to bang it that part of your brain takes over so you manage to wriggle away you kick it hard enough that The Kelpie attacks Boots instead, basically, and you push off of them towards the surface far away. So once you're at the surface, you're able to catch your breath, and the ship itself behind you, you hear the sickening, creaking noise.
1: Like that loud wood snapping noise, right?
0: Exactly, like creaks and then snaps and comes tumbling into the water, you're able to grab onto a piece of wood that's floating by. So you're able to like clomp onto a log and keep kicking. Hours pass, you're just running in this like fight or flight. I almost just absolutely died. And maybe it's a day, maybe it's more than a day. You just keep holding on for dear life and kicking. And at some point, the sun rises, clouds dissipate, and just there, ahead of you, there's land. Sarah, tell me about yourself. Where do you live? Are you like Imogen? What is your experience with uh, tabletop RPGs? Do tell.
2: Oh, hi. From the top, I am Sarah. I'm up in Columbus, Ohio. We're all spread across the country. And I suppose I'm our northernmost uh, party member, and which is odd because I'm originally from the south. But hey, here we are. Uh, let's see. I'm in grad school right now, LOL, I'm studying tabletop role-playing games, so go figure. This is kind of what I live and eat every day. I've got a smoking wife, I have a dog named Navi, and a cat named Ganondorf. I have one love, and that one love is Zelda, and I guess also also my, my wife. My bad. Uh, sorry about that. And
0: RPGs. So really, you have three
2: loves. <laughs> I have three loves. Three loves. And uh, what else was on the list? Are you like Imogen at all? Not even a little bit. I have been playing uh, tabletop role-playing games since 2012. And the, the longer I have played, the further and further away I've gotten from making, like, LOL, this is Kara Kara. And she likes swords and is super bi. So I am stretching further than I have, playing a hyper-religious, nigh-zealot-type character with a huge family and not a whole lot of social awareness. I also have, I I gotta be honest here, I'm a human lover. I typically only ever play humans, but I I figured
0: I'd really stretch and play a dwarf. Awesome. Um, How do you know me? How did, how did this come to be? Do you want the
2: sanitized version or the embarrassing first day of undergrad version?
0: Wow, I want both.
2: Okay. Uh, sanitized version is that uh, we were college roommates. The unsanitized version is we met on the very first day of college because Eli just casually fainted at orientation. It was very hot. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't blame her.
0: <laughs> I did faint. I forgot about that. <laughs> Just just calling you out. My version of the story is we met because we lived uh, like next door to each other, basically, or down the hall from each other, and then uh, quickly moved in together and became best friends because you had a secret low-key Zelda poster hidden on one wall of your college dorm room. (laughs) Like behind the bed. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it is true. I did faint first day of college because I was (laughs) wearing a lot of clothing and it was very hot and I didn't drink water and it turns out you can't do that even even when you're as far north as Virginia which to me was like (laughs) basically you know
2: New England may as well be on the other side of that Mason
0: Dixon line (laughs) okay and then I guess actually one more question do you want people to find you on the internet and if they did where would they look yeah, sure.
2: I have my uh, portfolio website uh, for my, like, personal work as well as some my school work, And that's at com, And that has links to my social or whatever. And I'm uh, secretly on uh, Reddit and I'm there all the time.
0: But good luck finding me on there. Until, until you start admining our Reddit page or something like that. Yeah. Imogen, it's a few months ago. You're in one of the many stables that serves the Talden horse, your home country's cavalry. This stable houses one of the elephant units. As you walked in, you were hit with the overpowering stench of manure emanating from the dung heaps that tower twice your height. You're carrying a shovel, a brush, and a bucket, and you're ready to tackle your work for the day, cleaning out each of these stalls and then tending to the elephant's toenails. How does Imogen feel about this? I mean, it, it's what my family does. You know, we're
2: we're proud of our position as the, the, the royal farriers of the Talden horse. You know, do I love the smell of dung? I, I, I can't say I do. I am
0: used to it. But boy, it's boring. So this work takes up most of your day. And as you're wrapping the final stall, your youngest sibling and only brother, Hector, wanders in. He's 23 and strong, no longer the boy who followed you around the stables when you were younger. He leans against the large frame of the barn doors and whistles. Insert whistling here because I can't do it. <laughs> Thank you. Looks like you've had yourself a long day. Want to see something out of Norm? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, I've got something real special for you. All right, that sounds uh, slightly uh, (laughs) sexual in nature. (laughs) I didn't know it was going to be one of those scenes. It's just the accent. (laughs) Well, I found something real, real special to show you, and it's not sexual. That is just my voice.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't mind uh, seeing something out of The Ordinary. Goodness.
0: So he's got a grin, like he's keeping a, a good secret and he's super excited about it. He leads you away from the rows and rows of stables. And as you walk, you can see smoke coming from the far side of the complex. Uh, your mom must be still at the bellows, even as the sun sets. You pass the stable where your younger sisters, the twins Bea and Triss, are tag teaming cleaning that day. From the hayloft to near your sprawling ancient stone home, You hear Petra's fiancé, Kath, humming happily as she turns the straw. You follow Hector into his room, which only feels small because it's packed to the gills with his junk, bits and bobs of half-finished armor squeezed between fine tracks of cloth given in payment for side jobs. He kneels down and pulls out a package wrapped in a scrap of rough cloth. Inside is a small chunk of ore about the size of your dwarven thumb It's a dull copper color, and as you roll it around your palm, you feel like you're watching it move in slow motion.
2: Uh, What am I looking at
0: here? Uh, Give me a dwarven lore check.
2: Oh, dwarven lore! Oh boy. Uh, Four on the die for a twelve. Boo.
0: Don't you know what this is? Uh, I can't say I do. Care to enlighten me? Well, I'm pretty sure this is Horacalcum. No. Yep, it's the rarest of all the Sky Metals. No, no, what? Where'd you get this? I found it in one of the saddles when I cleaned them out for the Talon horse.
2: Oh, shoot. We should probably uh, uh, let our parents know and they-, they can find the owner. Probably don't want to hang on to it. But somebody else's.
0: Well, you know, I, I already did. I already looked and Mom said that If nobody found it over the course of a week or two, I think it's mine.
2: Oh, dang. All right. Uh, Finders keepers, I guess. More power to you. What are you going to do with
0: it? Well, you know, even a chunk as small as this is worth a fortune. And I was cleaning out those saddlebags and I honestly didn't even think it was real. They say that it can bend time, this metal.
2: I, yeah, I'm. I'm. Imagine uh, Imogen is just like turning it over, uh, holding it up to the light, and just almost entranced.
0: It's not enough to make much. Maybe a ring or something. I could craft you some for your journey.
2: What? No, you should. You should keep it for yourself. I. I. I don't. I don't need anything fancy like that.
0: Well, I, I sure am impressed with you. You know, sometimes I wonder what's out there. I, I have all my treasures that I find and. Saddlebags and pieces of, uh, you know, junk for the most part that these cavalrymen leave behind. But, you know, they're out there seeing things that I'll never see. And I guess you might actually have a chance to see some of it.
2: Oh, you are too young to be talking like that. When I get back from my trip, I, you know what, we'll, we'll plan one together, you and me.
0: So as you're talking, your father knocks at the door. I have to do another southern accent. Hold on, this one's deeper. (laughs) Imogen, it's Tom. We've gathered everyone downstairs.
2: Whoa, Tom already? Uh, All right then. Let's do it. And I'll, I'll, uh, you know, gesture for Hector to go ahead, and then I'll follow him out the door.
0: So you enter the common room which is a warm and homey space filled with overstuffed furniture, thick tapestries, and a roaring fireplace. Above the mantle is mounted Soothart, the hefty family warhammer. All of the soot have gathered, your mother closest to the fire, your elder sister Eliza and her husband Jacob, both looking on with bored indifference. Petra and Kath hold hands, while Stella fans herself near the window. Bea and Triss, chow down, and as your dad and brother walk in behind you, the soot moot begins. (sighs) Time for a good old-fashioned soot moot. So your mother stands up, and she pulls soot heart from its place above the hearth, and everyone quiets down. I probably feel a little
2: embarrassed about uh, being so excited just a second ago. (laughs) Like,
0: ugh. No, I I think I'm imagining, like, a lively conversation as you guys walk in and then once your mom pulls Sutheart from the hearth it's like okay the sootmoot has begun uh yep yep I, I dig it well now you all know why we've gathered here imogen's going on a pilgrimage and has requested to take soothart with her. the sootmoot is to decide if she can imogen would you like to say a few words
2: Yes, Mother. Uh, Y'all know me, y'all know my devotion to the Father of Creation, Torah, praise be, and I'm off to go spread his word and see the good works done by his followers. There's word of a a monastery that's fallen to ruin out in Andrin, and I I intend to see it with my own eyes and I don't know if there's anything I can do. I, I sure would like to uh, set, it, set it to right. And by your leave, I'd like to take Soothart to accompany me on the journey.
0: All right. Well, I'll cast my vote first, says your mother. Yes. As everyone in this family knows, we only have Sootheart because of another brave adventurer the very first of all the sootstocks, and the brazen, who did take this holy weapon down from Narvogath. Up from, up from. Up from Narvogath. Narvath. <laughs> you're, do, you're doing great. Who did take this weapon up from Narvath during the quest for the sky. Uh, so next up, your father steps forward and he simply goes, And then Hector goes, Yes. Each twin says, Sure. Uh, You get a yes from Stella, a yes from Petra. And that just leaves Eliza. Eliza looks at you dead in the eye. No. Sorry. What? I said no. Was that not clear?
2: Uh, Eliza, this, this is not a funny joke. I, I don't really know what you're playing at here, but... What?
0: what? I'm not playing at nothing. Now, you know you're not the only sootstock here. And, and this is our place. Here. This house. These stables. Now, if you're going to go insist on going off and getting yourself killed, just because you think you're too good for us, I can't stop you. If you're not taking the stock treasure with you. That's a no for me, and I'm not changing my mind.
2: Imogen's probably getting r- just just
0: red in the face,
2: just flushed, uh, flushed and red with sh- shame and embarrassment. and honestly, a a, a good bit of outrage. Oh, why are you talking like that, eliza? you You don't say, you know, two words to me day in, day out, and now you're just coming in and saying that I'm not not worthy of Sootheart. I'm, I'm doing this for the family, for
0: our God, our dwarven God. You just don't get it, do you? And she stands up and she just stamps off. And Jacob, her husband, is kind of sitting on the edge of an overstuffed chair, looking super confused, like he has no idea that this was coming. Uh, and he gets up and, and skitters after her.
2: I, I'm just. Imogen is just like spluttering and like angry tears uh, are, are just are starting to well up and, and leaking against her, uh, against her will. I, what? The, y'all aren't gonna. That,
0: what? Come on, mom! Father! Your father walks up to you and he puts an arm around you to try to calm you down. And then your mother sighs. And she claps to quiet down the chatter. Well, that's that, then. Imogen, you're setting off in the morning, so Hart stays. But we got, we got almost everybody. That, I, that doesn't count for anything? Well, you know that almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, darling. <laughs> Imogen looks
2: down in shame. She, she knows about horseshoes and hand grenades.
0: You know the rules of a soot moot. It's 100% everybody has to be in for you to get what you want. Now, let's do what we can to enjoy this dinner that we have prepared and enjoy it together as it'll be the last we'll have with my little Imogen for quite a while.
2: Man, I can't imagine. Like, Imogen is probably just, like, stony-faced through dinner. And you know when you're so upset and then just trying to eat, it's just, like, trying to chew on rocks? Uh, Oh, man. (laughs)
0: Like... Is she doing the thing where you're like uh, trying to eat bread and like tears are falling in the bread and it's like getting all mushy and gross and just drool, snot, grossness?
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> just uh, doing, you know, like especially when you don't want to be crying, uh, I, I, like ain't, like you're you're furious that you're you're crying and you're you're just furious in general, just staring at a point like a whirl in the wood on the table, uh, and and just like. F- uh, wiping her nose and wiping her face and just feeling absolute uh, misery and fury.
0: So throughout the dinner, your parents are trying to cheer you up by reminding you of, like, the silver linings, which is, like, the worst possible thing to do and always sucks when people do that. Uh, and so your mom keeps, you know, rubbing your arm and going, like, well, you're still getting your pilgrimage, and I've made sure to include one of our shields for you to carry.
2: Yes, Mother. Oh man! And she had she had, as a cleric, she can emblazon an armament uh, with the the holy symbol of her deity uh, to to give it, make it even more powerful. And she was already like. Like, and I'm gonna put it, you know, right there, and I, it's gonna look so good on Sootheart and you know, it'll be my symbol, and uh, oh boy, uh, so it's just like everything is, nothing will cheer up right now. Everything is just crumbling around her.
0: So I'm curious, after dinner, what's Imogen gonna do, if anything, to work off her her feelings?
2: Uh, horse girls got a horse. <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh she'll she'll grab one of the the horses from the stables uh I don't think they have their own you know bespoke horses, but uh you know if the Talden horse isn't using one of them, then uh she can grab one and do one of those dramatic angry rides out into the plains uh stop at for no discernible reason at no specific place and leap off and ang- angry shout slash angry beseech torag. You know this isn't right. I know this isn't right. I don't, I don't know what to do, though. I don't know how to make this right. I, I want to do this for you.
0: And she just doesn't really get much of a response from Torag. It just feels like she's kind of all alone.
2: The horse snuffles, whinnies, uh, like the sound of the, the wind, the grass on the plains. Uh, pretty depressing
0: does she then ride back
2: uh i know i for one when i uh uh, have like made a made a big old scene i i don't want to be around i don't want people to like see me when i skulk back in so she'd probably wait deep into the night uh past you know looking back into the city most of the lights are out uh she can see well enough in the dark uh with her dark vision. So she would wait until she figured everybody else was asleep and uh, like embarrassingly uh, skulk
0: back. So you skulk back into your room. It's pretty late at night. The rest of your house has definitely gone to sleep. They're kind of uh, early to bed, early to rise folk, especially with how much of their days is spent just straight toiling. In stables or at your mother's uh, smithery. The house sort of filled with the quiet lull of snores, but otherwise you, you make it into your room.
2: Imogen avoiding the, the steps that she knows creaks.
0: So it's the middle of the night when you suddenly wake. In the moonlight, you open your eyes and you see your immense pack that your parents have lovingly put together and it sits waiting for your journey in the morning for your adventure to start. So now that she's calmed down a little bit, how is Imogen feeling?
2: Uh, it's this weird, she knows what sh- she could do to, in her mind, make this right. But it- it's this, she has this like, this pride playing against the the tenets of her God. I mean, she wants to just slip away in the night but in doing so that's that's not torog's way and i think she's trying to like convince herself like no well uh torog would want me to do this uh you know elaz is the one that she's the one who's failed to see the lot she she just doesn't understand she's kind of spiraling down a little bit of a dark rabbit hole right now
0: so Does she actually act on any of these thoughts, or is she just staying in bed?
2: I I think she would just be warring with herself, uh, like squeezing her eyes shut, trying to go to sleep, flopping to the one side, flopping to the other, uh, getting out of bed, pacing a little bit, you know, falling to her knees, praying at the bedside, and then I think she would shoulder her pack.
0: Okay. Give me a stealth check.
2: Uh Uh-oh. So I've, I've got a whole whopping plus zero to this roll. And I got a two on the die.
0: <laughs> so, okay, so she shoulders her pack, and there's, like, cooking implements inside of your pack. There's just a ton of armor, various metal implements that your family has basically just very dramatically overpacked for your trip. You try to shoulder the pack and try to sneak downstairs. So the second you open your door, it's like a clatter and clang of everything, and you hear the snores stop in Hector's room. And kind of a muffled, confused, like, Oh, what's that? Come from from his door. Oh, um... Oh,
2: uh... (laughs) This is not, Imogen is not a sneaky person. So she would go uh, and and close her bedroom door.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, You hear a quiet padding over to your door and you can sort of hear a very quiet breathing and you think it's Hector. And uh, he pauses for a little while, like listening at your door and then just pads back to bed. I creak open the door again. (laughs) Okay, give me another stealth check. (laughs) Come on, Dice. Come on, I just want to get out. Uh, 14. Okay, with that, you pad down to the living room. You are super careful to not jostle your pack in a way that would make any noise. You very, very carefully, like you're on your tippy toes in your socks kind of situation trying to not uh, make any of the floorboards squeak. And when you're on the ground floor, your parents' bedroom is also on the ground floor, connected to the room, the common room where your sitmoot took place. And so you can also hear a gentle snoring coming from their room as you approach the hearth. And the embers have died down into a very dim glow in the grate. And heart is just sitting there on the wall where you last saw it, mounted on two hooks. I'm, I'm going to
2: stare up at it uh, for, for a good long moment. What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Under, under my breath. Torag, is this? I don't know if this is right. What am I? I'm, am I doing the right thing? I don't know. Uh, and she's going to squeeze her eyes shut. And blindly uh, reach out, reach out for sweetheart.
0: Okay, give me a thievery check.
2: Oh my word, sweet. Okay, I've got a plus
0: zero to this roll. <laughs> These are none of your skills. No, of course not. And I got a four. <laughs> so you blindly reach out for sweetheart, and it clanks against the the hooks. Kind of come with it mostly because your eyes are shut. So that was not a good move, and it clinks against the wall and you hear silence from your parents' bedroom all of a sudden and then kind of a jostling noise and you know just from knowing your parents from growing up in this house, you know for sure that both of your parents for weapons now it's like oh oh shoot i also don't want to be caught doing this going
2: against this okay imogen's gonna run the the need for quiet has come and gone and uh she's gonna just finish prying it off the the wall and book it out the front door
0: okay so you book it outside and do you grab a horse or are you just running
2: no i've already stolen one thing
0: tonight i'm not stealing another especially not from the royalty themselves As Imogen crests the hill that leads away from the complex where her family lives, you can hear behind you, the door bursts open, and you don't see them, but you hear your mother yelling your name behind you. I'm not looking back, tears streaming down my eyes,
2: and clanging with all all these pots and pans and armor and the, the fishing pole just... Both both arms on the on the straps of the, the pack and, and just running. Fading away into the distance.
0: Imogen Imogen Oh Torog, what have I done? And I'm running. And with that, Imogen sit stock begins her holy pilgrimage.